What it do, DMV? It is episode 9 of Chirpin' DMV, and boys, we got some breaking news because the Washington Capitals are still the current Stanley Cup champions as of last night's result. So, so there's the great news we'll start the episode with. We've got a jam pack one for you today, talking the best thing in sports. That's right, it's a Game 7 for the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, we've got Gross hopping back on to catch us up on a few things going on out his way, and an interview with his brother, Nicky Gross, and much more. So with that being said, I'm here as always with the boys AB in studio. What's up? What's going on, boys? I uh, had myself a great weekend. My uh, Extended weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got off Wednesday night. Uh, headed down to uh, North Carolina for my uh, cousin's wedding. So congrats to her, Katie Edwards. And uh, congrats to Ian as well. Um, the Brits. Yeah, yeah. And uh, met up with our buddy, good friend of the pod, Aaron. Hey, hey, Ron. And, uh, you know, Thursday, day of wedding. Got a little out of hand. Uh, woke up, hit him up, said, let's get her going. Mm-hmm, as you should. Got to brunch, you know, a little, some mimosa action. Mm-hmm. And, Bottomless. And I'm telling you, this guy did not put in any OJ in it. Just straight bottle. And I'm pretty sure we went through like two to three bottles of champagne. And then he says, all right, let's go find another bar. I'm like, all right, here we go. Oh. <laughs> and we go. Day of. We go get uh, three margs somewhere else, three strawberry margs, frozen. They were delicious. And then, uh, yeah, we uh, got after it after that. We uh, went to the wedding, uh, and Tina was not happy. <laughs> looks looks Aaron right in the face and says, you are so drunk. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were at Tunes Friday night, and he was filling us in a bit. It's like, ooh. Probably wasn't the happiest. Brando, what's up, big man? Hey, how's Studio it going, boys? Well, what's going on? Hey, I'm normal weekend for me. Mm-hmm. Got recognized in the mall, though. That oh, was crazy. Yeah, t- yeah t- give, give us the story there. That's kind of wild. You shooted us a group text and was like, hey, some guy just recognized my shirt in the mall. Yeah, just some random guy walking through the mall. He's like, hey, man, love the pod. Never seen the guy before ever. And I was like, <laughs> felt like a little celeb. I was like, this is tight. I could I could get used to this. I get down with that. KP, what's up? Not much, man. Just stayed out on the water this weekend, relaxed, and uh, was hoping for a St. Louis Stanley Cup victory, but uh, didn't happen, so here we are. That gives us more to talk about on the pod, so we'll get into it. Um, we'll start here. We'll start with something that has um, some you know, sentimental value to us, some personal value for the squad here at Chirpin, and that's what's going on with Bowie Ice Arena. That's our... I would say that's our home barn, um, always yeah. has been. So Bowie Ice Arena right there in the park, been open for about nearly 50 years. Home to Bowie Hockey Club, Bowie Figure Skating Club, and a handful of high school teams. So in September of 2017, the city council approved the construction of the two-sheet facility at roughly estimated $24 million cost, while remodeling the old facility would only cost $22 million. So not that big of a difference, but that wouldn't include the additional parking and second-sheet device that you would get out of the new one. So they went with the new arena construction. Things were going well into the last two weeks, whereas there was a revote, and they didn't get the necessary number of votes. Uh, therefore, it was taken off the table, which now leads to a public vote, I guess you would say, later in November. And after reading the comments on the Living Bowie Facebook page, it sounds like not many citizens or residents are going to vote in favor of that new rink. So that could be uh, gone here soon. And that, that old facility, I was up there the other day because it's right up the street from work, and our guy there, Randy Richardson, was telling me that the place is just kind of falling apart. Like when it rains, it comes out in the office and everything. That's got a lifespan of maybe two years uh, max on that. So, like I said, that's got a lot of value to us because uh, that's not our first hockey memory, uh, being as that we started in Roller right there in Dunkirk, but that's a story for another time. But uh, that's all of us here. That was our first you know, ice. ice hockey home. That was the first yep. place we ever played, uh, living in Calvert County. That was the only place that was accessible because Waldorf wasn't built yet or in place yet, so it was just buoy for us. For me, that was my first uh, hockey experience. Uh, my parents got me in an ice hockey camp when I was, I think, four years old, and it was at Bowie. I think I did that with uh, Mike Pick. But, um, yeah, it's there's a lot of good memories there. I mean, played there for, what, 10 years probably? Yeah, I know. I started there my first year of Pee Wees, did all the Pee Wees, Bantams, left one year in U16, came back, finished out U16, and the only year U18 uh, you get before you go off to school. So that was my pretty much entire youth career was for the Bowie Bruins and granted we all came up as a group from Calvert from there but we met so many dudes that we are probably lifelong friends with now with JC and Bobby and just an entire group of kids all the way from two age groups down to two age groups up yep um Kyle any 
awesome memories there at Bowie. I mean, what, what would that mean if that rink had that? Uh, the main out? thing, I think that rink has a lot more feel than other rinks with the history and uh, being that barn, having a the, legit the, barn. the wooden yeah. ceiling, mm-hmm. I guess you would call it. Yeah. I don't Cathedral. It's like vintage. Vintage, yeah, vintage, straight up. Like back in the day, all they could have was wooden facilities. So that's how it kind of started. And that was like the feel every time I went into there. It was like a different place. It was like home. Like it was different than those big, facilities but uh yeah it's sad to see the city's not behind them on trying to help out and getting that thing back up to par because it's a really nice facility not just for ice hockey players for the for the um figure skaters that's a that's Mm -hmm. a huge rank for them as well so i mean it's it's sad to see that the community's not helping out i mean if if you think about it we were there like five out of seven days of the week a lot yeah a lot of the weeks during the school week i mean and I don't know about you guys, but, like, we had practice Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Mm-hmm. And Fridays, we would all stay after for the public sessions and just have a bunch of people yeah, just going around. I remember we did a lock-in uh, one night. I can't remember what team that was. Maybe Bantamere. We did a lock-in where we stayed overnight. Yeah, we've done a couple just, of yeah, skated for sure. Skate all there. night. I did that for my birthday same, one year. Same, same pretty much core group uh, still at Bowie with, like, Randy out there running the place and coaching. Derek, uh, Bill Schmidt's up there still. Got a lot to do with it. So it sucks to see that program get built up so much to possibly leave and what a lot of people don't understand is the revenue that it brings because you have a two-sheet facility beautiful you're bringing in more teams you're hosting tournaments you're bringing in business uh, to local hotels restaurants you name it because buoy is kind of it's not out of the way but it's a trip it's travel hockey when you go somewhere it's a day-long trip because you're like all right we got to get up there early let's have some lunch before or dinner after with the team do this do that yep also another thing is it's it's a good marketing thing for the city of Bowie to bring people from like southern maryland we can't get a rank down here our county doesn't want to help out in calvert county so i mean that that's one of our lifelines is the Bowie rank it's one of the closest ones to a lot of people down here yeah either that or waldorf that's yeah, all we have so that's gonna hurt yep. yeah so and you never know with waldorf but <clears throat> yeah just tough situation hopefully you can kind of come through they can figure something out here come november and see the positives that that rank brings to the community and just people uh, in the outside area. So, yeah, a lot of good memories. I think we've all got a handful of tournament banners up there, some league championship banners, and uh, just the people we know there would like to keep it going. So with that being said, we will switch gears a little bit to the Caps here before we get into our interview uh, with Nikki later on. So NBC Sports Washington, Kyle sent it over, published a free agency bracket, um, obviously with a lot looming with the Caps this year come July 1st. So we'll take a look at that over the next few episodes, kind of filling in as a team here, and we'll see where we end up with it. So we'll do the top left today, the two match, so two matchups worth. Uh, we won't debate it too heavily on cap hits and go into the cr- too crazy much detail of like what we can afford and what not afford because it's a fun bracket to see kind of which players you would prefer uh, free agency-wise. So... First up, uh, I guess let's get into it. So we have former cap legend winger Marcus Johansson, 28 years old, 58 games played this season, 13 goals, 17 assists. Tearing cap, it up in the playoffs. Uh-huh, one of their bet top three players, in my opinion. So yeah. cap hit at $4.6 million, like you mentioned, having a hell of a playoff run. Or he's going up against, from the Sharks, right winger Jonas Donskoy, 27-year-old, 80 games played, 14 goals, 23 assists, and a $2.8 million cap hit. So... First off the back, I would love a guy with the name Don Skoy on my team. That That's a good name there. That'd be great, too. But I also, like I said, love Caps legend Marcus yeah. Johansson. Yeah. Especially with all the debate that they've been having where people are saying that they should push TJ Oshie down to that third line uh, just because of his injuries and stuff like that. I don't agree with it whatsoever. Yeah, but Mojo yeah, is a guy Johansson that would can, definitely help you out more in your top st- six than I think Don Skoy would. Yeah, for sure. Don Skoy's he'd be a good filler for a third line. Right, exactly. so maybe bump up to second. Exactly. Johansson's definitely a top six guy. Right. Yeah. And Don Skoy's. I mean, you'd think he'd fill in uh, Connolly's role a little bit there. Maybe if we don't yeah. sign Connolly. Yeah. But. You never know. I mean, he's like we said, he did have a good year. Fourteen goals, twenty-three assists. I believe he did play on that third line. That's um, not bad for a third line. There in San Jose, played eighty of the eighty-two games. So yeah. there's not much there in terms of injury and whatnot, but. Also, with Marcus Johansson, we're familiar with him. He was crucial. He was never bad when he played for us, really. I mean, everybody has their complaints every now and then, and I definitely had some. But, I mean, what are we we voting on as a group on that one? I didn't like the way he played when he was in Washington. It always seemed like he was timid going into corners or not so much with the physical play, still with decision-making. He wasn't there fully. Like, he still kind of second-guessed himself. And I think through New Jersey and Boston, whatever happened, he kind of found himself a little more. And he's playing with a lot of confidence. Right, mm-hmm. and he's, he's, getting, he's getting a little grittier, I think. I yeah. think being in Boston 
helps out and with that. I mean, they, they point, get on top of you if you're not like that. At this point, he's a veteran winger. I mean, he was yeah. with us for how many years in those playoff runs? He's in a deep playoff run now with Boston. Uh, he's experienced. He's been there. Uh, still fairly young, and you he's, could say. He's shown that he can score clutch goals. I mean, he had that overtime. Uh, did he score in overtime? First or Toronto, game Toronto. five. Me and yeah. Kyle were there. Yeah. Uh, we were sitting in section 100-something, squirreling beers. We were... Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. game that Obi took that knee from Kadri. Uh, oh yeah, um, Kadri. got nailed right there a little bit. So um, I, I, I would vote. St. Ah. Louis wins the cup, and then Johansson comes home to get one with Obi. Bingo. Oh, yeah, so I, I vote Mojo in that one. Um, I, which, think which, we, I think we, I think we all do with a little yeah. bias. Right, Brando, <laughs> if, if you can get in. Mojo somehow, I think we'll <laughs> all accept fill the bracket it. in Mojo. So second one, the last one we'll do for this episode because, like we said, we'll stretch this out a couple episodes, make it fun. We've got center Matt Zuccarello, former Ranger nemesis, just finished his season with the Stars, 31 years old, 48 games played, 12 goals, 28 assists with a 4.5 million dollar cap hit. Remember, he did suffer that injury a little bit right when he got to Dallas this year. Um, then we have versus Michael Furlan, left winger from the Hurricanes, who we got all too familiar with in the first round of these playoffs. 27 years old, 71 games played, 17 goals, 23 assists, and a $1.75 million cap hit. AB, what do you think? Uh, for me, this is easy. I, I'd pick Zuccarello all day. That kid is – he's so good. He's so feisty. I mean, he's small. I mean, just my type of player. Yeah, great player and a solid center, a good center. He brings a lot out of the guys he's playing with. In my opinion, if we were to get that and you kept that first line of Tom Wilson, uh, Ovi. He plays and, with um, so much like Backstrom. tenacity and yeah. speed. But a thing is, too, if we want to d- deepen up that, that center role, but we got to remember Kuzi has not always been a center his whole life. So say you slot Zuccarello into that second line center role, you push Kuzi to a wing, keep Vrana, and then you can have your third line Oshi with uh, Lars Eller and whoever else we end up yeah. signing because we got a lot of guys to resign and we got a lot to do. I was going to say, I, the problem the problem is going to be the money issue. I yeah, mean, it's I don't money. Know. I mean, it's a higher cap hit. Yeah, and especially it's with him. More skilled guy, but... Kind of reminds you of uh, Hagelin a little. I mean, right, exactly. he does exactly the way he does with that. Of. So he's he's definitely my pick between the two. Yeah, Zuccarello is just... He's scrappy. He's, I think that's the best way to put it. He's just the scrappiest player I've Not seen. Not just scrappy, though. His uh, hockey IQ... Is really good. I yeah, think. He, yeah. He knows where to not to. He knows where to be. He knows where to put the puck. Yep. He Kind of fi- finds those uh, smart areas. For sure. So I think we're all in agreement there with Zuccarello. So for this episode, we got Mojo and Zook heading to the next round. Next week, we'll look at four D men: Lovejoy, England, Gunnarsson, and Hainsey. Something so, uh, I think the Caps need. Well, yeah. If we have to trade, this can in to clear up a little cap space, but not on the bracket, obviously. But AB wanted to mention. Uh, Our guy Corey Perry out there in Anaheim. Well, I just thought it was with him. I just thought it was funny. You uh, you texted that uh, news in the group that they want to trade him, and I said I immediately said not interested. <laughs> I mean, he had he had a couple of good seasons. He had like what three good seasons, maybe three or four. But I mean, he's he's your goal scorer he, guy, and I think uh, we got the best in the world, <laughs> so we don't need him. The games, yeah, the games caught up to him a little bit. But he's still a good player, and I think he'll find a one, go maybe somewhere. two-year well, deal I saw somewhere. It. I said, man, he'd be, I'd text it back and said he'd be awesome in Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Just start building that up a little bit. Um, I could but, see Edmonton going after him, too, because <laughs> as if they need another one of those with Mill and Lucci. <laughs> well, they were even, well, even that Line A stuff, there's some Line A stuff that came up this week. He's wanting, what, $10 million? And I don't know if Winnipeg's willing to pay all that money for him yeah <laughs> which is and then He's i saw good, something but i don't know i read something and i was reading i was like well new jersey could possibly make a push they have like 35 million in cap room for next season imagine that first sign they pick up that center hughes and then they have taylor hall and Patrick well you Lane think if they're getting rid of line uh winnipeg would want that first round pick back that would probably yeah. try to they be wouldn't their trade move. their first overall pick they would they could trade a first round next year they wouldn't trade this year's first overall pick you kidding me no, not when, this year's. Yeah, not when's the next time you get that? So, all right, yeah, so with that all being said, we'll send it over to our interview with George Mason, defenseman Nikki Gross. But before that, it's brought to you by Healing Hydration. Healing Hydration is a new company opening July 1st in Annapolis. They specialize in IV hydrations, which allow for 100% absorption of fluids. For pre- and post-workouts, hangovers, or even travel, Healing Hydration can give you an IV with vitamins and nutrients to replenish your body and leave you with healthy, glowing skin. Healing Hydration will begin booking appointments at the end of June, so be sure to check them out and use code CHIRPIN. Again, that is code CHIRPIN for 10% off your first appointment. And now, Nick Gross. 
All right, we now welcome on Fairfax, Virginia native, Canadian junior hockey player, Ohio University alum, and now blue liner for the George Mason hockey team, Nikki Gross. What's up, bud? Not too much. Good to be on the podcast. All right. Welcome, welcome. So first question, how much better are you than your brother? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, lately when we played beer league together, uh, he's just got a skill set made for beer league. So when we play together out there, he's definitely got the upper hand on me, scores more goals and everything. So I don't know, maybe higher level hockey. Might have a little speed on him, but that's about it. All right, so Nikki, you had your brother going up with the same process as you through Patriots and uh, moving up to Canada. How was that, like having him? doing the same process as you? Uh, it was pretty cool. I, I saw him going up each year, uh, trying out before until he finally made it um, in his 20 year, the same year I made it my first year when I was 18. Um, so it was good to see like the process with him going up there and keep, trying out until he made it. Um, so that gets set an example for me that I could, you know, I had a chance to keep growing throughout um, high school and stuff and then finally get a chance to make a team up there. There you go. So let's kick it back a bit. Let's start from the beginning. Let's start here in the DMV. Kind of take us through your youth career, uh, your travel hockey, uh, all the way up through high school. Yes, yeah, so I started out my whole life. I played Ashburn. Um, started my first year of Mites up with the 94 team. I'm not on 95. And then played the Ashburn stream all the way up um, with a good group of 95 players up until um, – Bantam, uh, I stayed at Ashburn, and a few of the guys all went over to Little Caps and started that when that thousand Little Caps started, I think, out in Kettler, my Bantam year. And I stayed at Ashburn, and then by U16, um, I didn't even make Ashburn. Um, I had to go drop down and play single way at Reston. I was too small for U16 first year. Um, I was only about just grade 10, so I was only about five foot two or so. And I put my own license said. Uh, stayed at Reston for two years at U16, uh, and then after the U16, I went and played for the Patriots. It was on their second team at the time, which was Empire. Um, so then went to Patriots, and throughout the four years of high school, I played at uh, Fairfax High School, where we combined with Tomic for two years while Alex was there, and then came out of Centerville for the last two years. Yeah, so looking I at that... Um, yeah, so looking at that 2011, uh, 2010-2011 regular season uh, up there in high school, looks like you led the state in assists, Alex led the state in goals, and then it was you two uh, first and second uh, in total points. So my question here is, did you guys ever get off the ice? <laughs> uh, we played a good majority of the game. Um, we kind of had one good line, which was us two, and then traded out with a couple other guys, uh, Andrew Lee and Colin Woods. And some more hand was in the mix in that too. And um, but yeah, no, Head and I were together the whole time. I was center and he was wing, and we just had that brother connection. I guess sounds corny, but I just find him wherever he was, and the kid can bury. There it is. And then, so like you mentioned, Patriots. That's where you and Kyle met. You and Kyle started playing together. So Kyle, what all went down there? Uh, Nikki was a, a younger guy. Uh, what were you like, sixteen at the time, and scrawny and weighed a hundred pounds and. <laughs> didn't play as as much as he does nowadays, and didn't have that same skill, uh, physicality wise. But uh, that hockey IQ was always there. He was the smartest guy on the ice at all times, and he just kind of grew into his body and started playing better. There it is. So Patriots, and then up to Canada, up to the Noge, the North Ontario Junior Hockey League for first year, the North Bay Trappers. Um, how did that all kind of come into place? Is that something where you get recruited? Is that something where you had to make a decision that had to be made in terms of North Bay or another team elsewhere with another league? Uh, yeah, I mean, so North Bay is where our grandparents are from, and that's where Alex and I grew up going to hockey camps every summer. So that's where he would always go up every summer um, and try out for the Trappers. Um, it was my dad's team he watched growing up. And we kind of, it was my dad's dream truck to play there one day. And my 18th, my first year of juniors in, my, uh, in Canada, my 18th year playing up there, um, I kind of only, uh, I don't think I would have gotten on with any other teams, but I kind of only made the team, uh, one, because it was a new team. They just had the, the major eight team that year, the North Bay Battalion. So we were like a new team almost. And the second reason I made it was because uh, they they offered Alex a spot, and they saw Alex trying out over the years and saw how he grew. And I only made it as like a just graduated high school, like a five six, five seven, like one thirty. And then they, they signed me kind of as like a 
like a future prospect, like knowing that I can get bigger and be better by the next year, by the end of the year. So that was how I ended up uh, in North Bay my first year. Yeah, so that first season, obviously that's a big change in terms of playing around here. So you personally, um, what was the adjustment like in terms of your game, uh, your skill, the style of play, kind of the culture up there? Is there a lot you had to change to kind of fit better into those systems or was it just kind of bring what you had and the hell with it? Uh, so it's just another like level up, um, speed, strength, skill, everything jumped up a level. Uh, for, for myself, being small, um, I just had to adjust my game to make smart plays all the time. I wasn't like an impact player in my first year, uh, so I was just trying to do anything I could just to make the right play, and I was getting bounced around. I didn't scratch a lot because we had some injuries, but I was playing forward D wherever I get ice time, and I was kind of just doing whatever I could to uh, not get scratched the next game, so I'm just trying to make smart plays, break it out of the zone, and try to get Okay, so first season in the books, next one rolls around. Same league, but new team, uh, the Mattawa Blackhawks. Now, now, how does that kind of go down in terms of changing teams? Are there trades, or do you just kind of willingly talk to other coaches, other teams, and go try out at the beginning of the season? Um, kind of talk us through how that works and why the change to uh, Mattawa. So, so that second year, um, our team actually moved. We moved out of North Bay. Um, a new team moved in to 20 minutes south, like 25 minutes south. South of North Bay to Watson, our place over last year. But yeah, so our, our North Bay team, we moved uh, to go play out of Mattawa. And uh, so I just was saved with that team, said the ownership. So it was a lot of like a decent amount of returning guys. Um, I had a little confidence coming in my second year. And uh, it was a pretty cool time there. Um, we was a town of about 2,500 people. Um, the barn was an actual like wooden barn. It had cracks in the roof. So when it was snowing outside, sometimes it'd be little puddles, like little piles of snow all over the rink um, because it would freeze in and we'd have minus 40 nights uh, the bench would be frozen underneath the bench for the air you'd spill water it was really cool playing out there in Mattawa actually funny story was we were there at like after about 15 games into the season we were had maybe one or two wins and uh, we had a new ownership come in because um, our old owner I guess the bills weren't working out and he got kicked out and the new ownership came in they fired our first coach because um, they had a meeting with us, and we kind of just were needed to change up. So we got our first coach fired, had a new guy come in, <laughs> completely turned around the team. He went over 500 after he came in. Um, so it was uh, a really, really crazy experience with that whole change. We didn't know if we were going to have to go find a new team or whatnot, but the came in and got us a new good coach and took care of everything, which was a weird experience, but really neat. <laughs> So you're, you're talking about a couple of different places you got to play in Canada. Um, right before we jump back into maybe your last one and then the rest of your playing career, what was it like playing in those small, unique towns in Canada and uh, the atmosphere with the fans and all that? Oh, it was a really cool experience. Those last two seasons, um, Mattawa, we did, we, we, all, all the locals, like, we were a big deal in the town, kind of, same with in Kowasa my last year. Um, they just liked supporting their local junior hockey team. It's, it's a big thing in the town. You know, they don't have um, the NHL like, teams are in their area. They don't have and it's football NFL teams. They don't have any of that. What they have is their local junior hockey team. So they have uh, there's a really big support behind it in all those, especially in the North, Northern Ontario League, like the CC, the, some of those teams out in the Ontario League out east. Um, all those small junior hockey towns, the community provides a ton of support, which is awesome. So off to that lat, that third and final season, correct me when I pronounce this incorrectly, but the Powassan, Powassan Voodoos? Yep, Boston. There you go. So your best individual season by far, just putting up points, but also a great team. It looks like you guys went about 40-10-3-1 in the regular season. Uh, a little tougher to get in the playoffs, it looks like. So tell us, you know, was that another change in scenery, or was that you leaving? And then um, obviously the Voodoos looked like they had the best sweaters of all three teams you played for, so did that play a factor? <laughs> Yeah, so that last year I did want to uh, to go to, to go on to a better team that last year. So I ended so our team from Ottawa ended up moving moving that next year up to Iroquois Falls, real far north. And uh, and I told them at the end of the year that I that I kind of asked for a trade. I said I lost my two years there. So I asked for a trade for the last year of the beginning season. Uh, started out um, for a short three weeks um, at a tape with this team Kirkland Lake was uh, the host that year, I think, of the Dudley Hewitt Cup at the Ontario Championship. I wanted to go there, and then they couldn't work out a, a good a deal to make a trade for me, I guess, with that team. Then 
I ended up going getting traded down to Washington instead, which turned out to be a great team and a lot of fun. Um, I thought it was kind of cool too when they made the trade. They traded me for for two of the guys in Boston and some money. So I felt like I was passing down a little cash, baby. I would have got a couple. Yeah, bags yeah. Of pucks. <laughs> yeah, give it a couple extra bucks. That's better than me being traded for a bag of pucks, I guess. But <laughs> so, so yeah, Nikki, real so. quick, talking about that trade. I mean, uh, at that standpoint in your life, you're what 20, 21 years old. What is it like? Yeah, walk- 20, so, so what was it like walking into the GM's office or the coach's office, whichever that situation is? Like, what was what was that? How did you, how did that happen? Um, you had to, I had to go in and sit down with the owner and with the coach, and and they said like they said to me like, look, just stick it out here, like play with us for a little bit, and then see if people want to trade. Like, like they you know they offered me like I I on the team like a, a letter and everything like that. So I just told them that I wanted to be on the winning team that year, and I knew their team was still kind of in a rebuilding stage. So I kind of just, I just straight up had to tell them, like, I wanted to trade. So um, they were fine with it, um, and there was no bad things at all. So. Yeah, I mean, that is your final season before you age out, and then when that yeah. comes, it's the next stage. So um, off to college. Is So how was tell us, talk, kind of talk about us, uh, the recruiting process that you went through with that. I mean, you ultimately did choose Utica. Uh, NCAA, yep. um, were there other options? And if so, kind of what made you cha- cha- or choose Utica? I mean, was it the best selection of girls getting you at your rink? Maybe a little bit of a good time on the trip with the team the night prior? But, uh, yeah, were there other options, or what made you choose there? Yeah, so in my last year, like some of the schools I was talking I, I was trying to – obviously, I still have the hopes of going to D1. I just talked to a couple um, D1 schools, but it was only like a short little two-week talk, and that was about it. I said to you later. But uh, so then the D3 options I had, uh, it was Buffalo State, who I went to go visit, um, Elmira College. Um, uh, I visited, visited both of those schools, and I was um, really interested in those two. And you said that um, they talked to me once at first in the beginning of the year, and then they ended up uh, recruiting someone else. Um, so they said, so, so they, they stopped talking to me, and then I guess they ended up having. Um, one kid leave the team or like go back home, so they had an extra B spot. But yeah, so there was like Elmira, Buffalo State, um, a couple other schools that uh, I didn't really look into. But the top three was Utica, Elmira, and, and Buffalo State. Um, all pretty good uh, schools. They, they all get decent amount of fans for D3. They all, um, like Elmira gets almost 1,000, Buffalo State 500 to 1,000 a game. So, um, but then I ended up signing on Utica because. Um, I knew, I, I remember visiting my brother at Iowa State uh, after my last year ended, and I remember telling the guys there, hey, guys, I'm going to go do this D3 thing for a year, but it's a good chance I'll end up transferring like, to, to your school and doing a D1 club, because I kind of wanted to do like the big college experience and the D1 club, so I, I remember telling them that, but I decided on Utica because it's in the school spot to play D3. I mean, we shared the rank with the uh, AHL, the Utica Comets, and we packed the barn. We did like yeah. 3,000 to 4,000 things tonight. Yeah, speaking about packing the barn, luckily I get to follow you on Instagram. And uh saw you guys usually have that teddy bear tossed every year. How how How's that, like that experience? Seems like uh, the – Yeah, so my, my – my, uh, uh, I didn't play too many games in Utica this year. Uh, six or seven games, I think, my freshman year. I was the only freshman dean that was a tough spot to come into with yeah. two, uh, two or three other senior dean. Um So when I did play, though, I, I got to play in the, the Teddy Bear Toss game, which is the tickets sell out like six months in advance for that at Utica. And I got my first assist was on the, the Teddy Bear goal, so my senior D partner. So uh, that was a crazy experience. I mean, it took about 10, almost like 15 minutes to get all the bears off the ice. But it was that was a ton of fun. And, you know, they get the, the horn buzzer. It's, it's one of the barns, one of the rinks are filled, uh, filmed in uh, with Slapshot is that Utica rink. So there's a lot of history behind it. It was really cool playing there. Yeah, so you mentioned it, do that one year at Utica, and then the possible transfer, which you ended up doing, but you went off to Ohio University, so ACHA, but, I mean, always a powerhouse. Every time you guys would come up to uh, West Virginia, you were always a uh, top 10, top 15 Ohio team, even back when I was there. Um, Maybe lucky for us to steal a game from you, but otherwise, Ohio U, just an electric barn. I mean, that place was crazy. The lights and everything, when they shut it off, have the green light flashing. Uh, great video, broadcast quality, and production, all that good stuff. So how was how was that fit with Ohio? I mean, you obviously racked up plenty of points in those two years there, so just kind of talk about uh, that, that playing experience. 
Yeah, I mean, that was when I made that decision to go to Ohio. Uh, it's not too far from home, almost five and a half hours. And their the setup there is great. You know, they have the rinks right in the center of campus. Um, we're advertised just as much as any other NCAA D1 team that's at the school. Um, and we, and we, we packed the barn there too. We get to like 2,000 fans, I think was the max. Um, and we usually get between 1,500 and 2,000. And, uh, it was a ton of fun there. I mean, um, but yeah, we were top team. I think ranked both, both years. I think we ended the season right there with three or four when I was there. And, uh, I, and it was a, I was a really happy decision. Um, the small school at Utah wasn't the fit for me in Ohio. Big, big school, big party scene. Um, and the hockey is still second to none, probably uh, just as good, if not better, than a lot of the NCAA D3 programs. Now, talking about that program, both years that you were there, did you guys go to nationals? Yes, we went to nationals both years. We both we were in top four both years. We got a buy, we had a buy for our second, our, our first round, I think. The playing round, we had a buy for that, and it was a single elimination. Um, and both years I was there, we lost in the quarterfinals. Uh, my first year at Nationals from um, two years ago there was uh, it was tough because at the end I had broken my hand um, after winter break. We didn't really know what it was. It was like a wrist injury, but it kept getting worse and worse. And I ended up having to get surgery after the season. Uh, I was playing through the rest of the year like, at Nationals with uh, my, my left hand. My top hand was fractured like, right in the middle of it. So I was only playing um, power play and penalty kills. I couldn't really get much strength behind my passenger shots. So. Uh, I know it was tough there that first year, but, but yeah, both years we lost the quarterfinals. Um, two good teams. You know, we lost to Iowa State last year, but uh, it was still a fun time. Don't forget it at all. Yeah, so graduate from there, still have a year left of uh, some college eligibility. So that leads us to our next question. Um, how much money was your brother able to collect to get you to come play for him at George Mason? And if it's enough, can we have a couple bucks? Yeah, you know, uh, my contract uh, is a one-year deal. Um, I think it's a, hopefully it's not a two-way. We'll see. But <laughs> Yeah, uh, a little um, something going on there. I mean, he gets one of the top, I guess, demon in ACHA uh, D1 from the following season, just happens to come play for him at George Mason. <laughs> no, we're kidding. But, um, so, yeah, you co- you're coming to Mason, kind of the hometown team. Uh, you get to play with some guys you may be familiar with. You got your brother on the bench. Uh, good group, it sounds like and looks like. So, kind of what are you expecting out of the season, both individually and team-wise? Uh, I'm excited for it. I mean, um, one of my big things with wanting to come and play this year, like, one of my best friends playing hockey with my whole life growing up, Trevor Max, since we were mites. You know, he's, he's there. He's one of the top players. I get to be with him for his last year there, too. Um, I know the other guys like Cameron Smith have just – Played with him a lot, uh, just skating around. He's a and on both teams. Yeah, um, so no, I'm really excited. We're gonna have a really high skilled team. Um, from talking, I don't, I'm not too familiar with the level of like how the so many different teams we play, but from talking to Alex, um, it sounds like we're gonna have a good team, but it's still gonna be tough. Like, we're not gonna be guaranteed anything, you know, nothing's given. So, we're still gonna have to work hard if we want to get to the nationals and try to win the whole thing. Yeah, so if your brother does try to bench you or something, is that a fight on spot on the bench, or are you actually going to kind of listen to him a bit? Yeah, so I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, I'm kind of just thinking, because like, I think he's assistant coach, so I'm assuming he's going to be like a D coach. Yeah, if he's calling so, for you and you're out there, you kind of you, you still got a little gas in the tank, and he's waving you off. You're like you're just kind of looking over, kind of, fuck up, dude, I'm, I'm good, bro. I'm staying for a little bit. What are you going to tell me to do? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, he's played some defense and, and really good stuff, but, you know, he's, he's been a winger like a forward his whole life, so, and I've always played D, so maybe, I don't know, like, maybe I'll just talk to him, I'll talk to him the best to help him coach D, but I don't know, he's got a great sense of the game, he loves the game, so he's, I think he'll be just fine, um, we might have to get in a fight if he benches me, but you know, he's bigger than yeah. me, so he probably win. We'll see how she goes from there. But uh, so after that, I mean, we've heard some rumblings. We hear some intentions of wanting to go over to Europe. You know, play a little pro hockey. You got any certain teams or leagues or clubs that you kind of are wanting to go play for, or is it just kind of whoever gives you a good opportunity, you're gonna run with it. Yes, uh, um, I really would want to go to uh, France, being the number one country I want to go play, just because I lived with my French family my second year juniors. Um, I can speak a tiny bit, so I think it'd be cool if I could play over there for a little bit and practice more and become fluent in French. Um, coming from ACHA, you know, I have to start in the bottom leagues, but even those bottom leagues, uh, I know like some other countries are better in money, like Germany and Sweden will pay, pay better, but I, I'm in mindset on France kind of. But uh, you still will get enough money to fill your fridge, free living, and 
That's all you yeah, need, really. Just playing just hockey for a job. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That'd be an awesome experience to get over there. Just play hockey, drink a little, and experience something new. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Nikki, one question I wanted to bring up since we're getting here close to the end. Last couple of questions. Uh, I want to talk about roller hockey and how that impacted your game plan uh, growing up. I know you played Mad Dogs out in Virginia. Uh, you're going this year to Narch, I heard. Do um, you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to be going to that tournament. Um, I know. Uh, I think I'll have to be going. But, yeah, since uh, roller hockey became big in Virginia, at least when, when, when the Baldens moved in, I don't know what year that was, but when they moved for here from California, like Steve Baldwin started the whole Mad Dogs program and got everything going. Um, so I was playing roller hockey since a young age. Yeah, since AU, that was my first year, I think. And it's a, it's a different game, you know, four on four, no icing, no offside. Uh, I think that really um, made me be even more heads of player than I am today. Like, I think a big part of my game, like, I'm, I'm a small defenseman, so I got to make smart plays. And I think roller hockey helps a lot because it's a, just a big skill game. You got to just make the right pass all the time. So I think roller hockey is definitely a great thing um, to have, just helping you develop and see different angles of the game. Yeah, and uh, keeping like your head up when you're skating. Stuff like that. I know that's something you're big on, especially reading, uh, watch the interview. You touched on that. But uh, all right, so we'll get in here into the good stuff. I think what the people are really here for. Uh, you got any good stories from us from the playing days up in Canada? Yeah, I have some good stories. I mean, one of the big things is so we're up in northern Ontario. Um, yeah, yeah. So you, like, and and you got to think like it's, it's these small towns. It's, uh, it's not it's much to do. It's kind of like. Yeah, not too, not too many things going on. I mean, North Bay was a big, North Bay is pretty big. You know, it's like 55,000 people. Um, there is stuff to do. You know, like some of the bars are going. Um, so, like, we'd often have weekend games, sometimes during the week, but usually um, Wednesday night was a big night for going out. Um, and there was a bar that would, uh, the deal, like, you'd pay five bucks for cover, but that also got you a ticket for um, some wings. But uh, that, that bar wasn't going until about midnight, or until about, like, one in the morning or so. We'd, we'd show up there. Yeah. But uh, our midnight. So before that, every Wednesday was also a wing night at this wing place. We go Wednesday at like six, seven o'clock, have get one of those big towers of beer and have wing night at uh, at Wild. It wasn't Wild Wings, it was just some wing place up there. And after we finish our wings, the best deal in town on a Wednesday night for beers um, was two dollar beers at the, the strip club in North Bay called Fanny's. Oh, there it is, baby, and, every Wednesday. And, that's, that's a little bonding. And, and, bonding and well, you know, you know you're, you're 19, it's on period. You know, you're 19 years old. Those days you drank. And this is my last year of juniors. I'm already 20. And, and yeah, we uh, so this is the best deal. We go for $2 beers. And, but the strip club happened to be located, like, just below the wing place. So, <laughs> no, so the the basement of the wing place? Is that kind of how it's set up? It's, it's, you don't go through the day, you have to go outside and around, but it's literally right, right underneath the wing place. <laughs> Not that's bad. Awesome. So that's, Fill her up a bit, head on down. Um, you yeah, may be saying, the, hey, that's, that, that's, that's the girl from the, the fucking place. second row uh, in the game last week, and how about it? There she is again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no, so it, was pretty, it was pretty cool. I mean, um, yeah, we did it a few times. Some of the guys did it more. But, yeah, it was just right underneath the wing place. You go there, and they have $2 beers until, like, 11 or 12 o'clock, and we go there for like for a little bit. And you know, Canada, it's good expensive, so that's like the best deal you're gonna find. Yeah, you, you know, you, for, you, you give them a toonie for a beer, that's a good deal. <laughs> yeah, keep it cheap, keep it loose. I mean, maybe not as loose as the women, but it sounds like an overall weekly good trip <laughs> with the squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But get, get on a first name basis, yeah, with so that, was always our, that, that would be our pregame spot for this on Wednesday night. So if any kids end up playing in North Bay, uh, that's the deal. You get wings, and then you go walk downstairs. Two dollar beers. All right. Well, uh, one last thing to kind of uh, make fun of Alex a little more. You went to Ohio, and he went to Iowa State. Which school was uh, the better part of your school? You, I think you hung out at both. Which one you got to say? Yeah. Um, I guess team base. Which say, which team is more rowdy? I, I, I overall, like partying wise, I got to say my school. Like, we used to hear one's ranked number one in the country for that, for that, but I don't know who does these rankings. But <laughs> I mean, our school, our setup, it's just one street straight north of campus, and it has about 15 bars just on the one street. Yeah, uh, you guys. You guys are coming for the jugular uh, when I was at West Virginia a bit a few times. A little good little battle, and then you come up and like I said, uh, just fucking smoke us in hockey. But we won't keep you any longer, Nikki. We appreciate you. We'll be talking to you plenty more times. Um, we'll be out there. We'll be following George Mason throughout the season. So again, we appreciate it, bro. 
Yeah, I can just awesome being on here. It's great to be on this uh, drawing podcast. I love what's going on with it and following all the local hockey. I think that's going to be really good for the DMV area, and you're going to get a good following with it. All right, thanks, Nicky, man. Appreciate you coming on, man. Have a good one. All right, thanks, guys. Peace. All right, thanks again to Nicky Gross for hopping on and joining us. Looking forward to watching him and the George Mason team this season as they prepare for their last season before going ACHA D1. But, boys, here we are with every hockey fan, both loves and despises, you could say. If you're a fan of either the Bruins or the Blues, you're probably going to be absolutely hating it. Uh, for the rest of us, it's a Game 7 to decide the Stanley Cup. With that being said, I guess the one thing, or the one good thing about the Caps not being in it this year is that we actually get an interesting Stanley Cup final because the Caps were so goddamn good last year. We just smoked them in five, and I was like, huh, well, that that's easy. easy. We're <laughs> out of here. See ya. Pure domination. So, couple couple quick notes before we get into it. This is the first Game 7 in a Stanley Cup final since Bueller. Bueller. 2011. 2011. That's right. Boston beats Vancouver. So, besides that, Boston would be the first team to win the Cup on home ice since the 2015 Blackhawks. Blues would be the first Western Conference team to win since, again, the 2015 Hawks. And the Bruins could be the first Eastern Conference team to win on home ice since the 2006 Hurricanes. Jesus. So, yep. <laughs> it's been a while since yeah. an Eastern Conference team won on home ice. 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. So last episode we recorded right before Game 4. Boston had the 2-1 series lead at the time. So we'll start there. Blues get the 4-2 win. I said on the pod O'Reilly needed to get the Blues on the board first. He did. Scored another one later in the game for the game winner. Yeah, good call I said, there, buddy. I also said Bennington could let in a max two. of two goals. He let in two goals. And that's why they make that's why they call me a championship coach. Thank you very much. <laughs> then comes the most pivotal game in the series. We won't spend much time on game four. It's a two two series lead after that. So pivotal game, game five, usually because that's the last game before there's an elimination game unless it's you know a 3-1 series lead and it's getting a little out of hand. So game five in Boston, Blues get the 2-1 win on a controversial no-call that led to the Blues' second goal. A.B., what went on there? Yeah, so, I mean, it was a classic slew foot. Um, the, the refs... Slew foot and stick. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, a little combination of both. The refs just sitting there staring right at it and just, just doesn't make the call. I mean... It's it's tough to see, but I mean, at least Boston wins in Game Six, so that like they, I mean, they're still gonna bitch about it, but like they, yeah. uh, it, uh, they got to another game. That you know what I mean? Like it's 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 better that they didn't win right off the bat. Yeah, on that. very good, very good Game Five. Um, it, if that was a serious deciding game, like you're mentioning, that that kind of ruined it for yeah. me for everybody else. Um, Boston fans, you know how they are. Oh god damn. Even the goal off that uh, <laughs> play, like the trip happened, but still that goal was kind of like a fluky goal. Yeah. Now, yeah, that that's everyone's kind of like looking the, around, the puck yeah, starts bouncing, like the, it stays in the zone. Yeah, and, I think Tuka thought it was going to be a penalty and then kind of off yeah, guard. Bozak's like sitting there like a couple, couple like, of them are putting their hands yeah. up. Kind of <laughs> that you don't hear the whistle and it's the cup so they're obviously busting ass till the end, but it's that kind of look around just to be like, "Oh, did that really not just get called?" You're right. And you're kind of not as locked in as you are throughout the course of a shift. And then, like you said, that puck kind of bounces around right there. It's a 2-1 two, one, two, one game, and then the Bruins. Who scored that? Was it Perron? Uh, I believe so. Might have been. Which, I mean, the Bruins fans are hating David yeah, Perron. He's been a real cock all all series long. Yeah. But, and yeah. the Chara have been back, like, all series long. Been going yeah, back so the Chara news, Chara breaks his jaw, gets it wired shut, comes back, comes back for game five, starts it. My my interpretation of that was he's probably not going to play much. Let's start him as a coach. You start him, get the crowd Into fucking it. riled up, which they were. They were buzzing. They were on their feet. Yep. The teammates, the, I mean, the Bruins are obviously got an extra jump to them. You put them in that starting lineup, you thinking, hey, if we can jump on St. Louis in his first five, six minutes here, get the crowd really behind us, and then build off of that the rest of the game, we kind of dwindle Chara's minutes and kind of move towards – a 5D uh, rotation here. Right. But that obviously didn't happen. Blues got out of that period with a win, a 0-0 win, you could say, with how, how crazy that place was. Right. And then that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. Even Char there in the first couple of shifts was making a few mistakes. Yeah, um, he didn't have Shin a good game. was going after him, trying to get some hits up there. Yeah. And then, all right, so that leads us to game six, where a couple times you see Char getting into some scrums in front of the net, and you just see one guy on the Blues just... Give a nice little like quick jab to the jaw right there, and he immediately skates out because he shouldn't be doing that anyway. So game six, uh, Sunday night, Boston throttling them just like in game three. It's 5-1. Um, 
Bennington not looking great. So, Kyle, the Blues responded in one game four after that 7-2 game three defeat. Uh, will they do it again in game seven? Obviously, it's a different circumstance, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I got to hope they do. I've been pulling for them. Um, but I don't know. Bennington hasn't been looking good from last game, I guess. And I, I don't think it's going to carry he's over. Hit or miss. Yeah, he's yeah. hit or miss like I every just, game. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how he's, he's going to play. He's got such great bounce-back games yeah. in well, this playoff, so. Here's my thing I was guess I was trying to get at. Him versus Tuka Rask in this game, I'm picking Tuka game seven Every all day time. long. Every single time, yeah. After this series has played the way they've gone, yeah. I'm not – which I feel bad for Bennington, but – But a hot Bennington yeah. can easily just could completely right. steal it's, a game. Like A.B. said, who shows mm-hmm. up? I mean, Rask has obviously been the consistent one here, and probably I mean, still their leader for Smythe if they do win it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's not even close. So – Whereas um, Bennington hasn't been as consistent, but when he's on, he's on. I mean, you could argue <laughs> that Rask, I mean, I know it was a 5-1 blowout, but, like, you could argue that Rask kind of saved them because in that first period, the Blues were all over them, weren't they? Oh, the like, Blues are yeah. fired up. Yeah. You see mm-hmm. Brett Hall before they that came out game? Oh, yeah. I mean, geez. Guns blazing, and just obviously first time, first two, chance yeah. in uh, program or uh, organization history to win a Stanley Cup and at home. On home ice. Yeah, and the thing is, firing. Bruce Cassidy, he came out and said, like, they – They've been just battling back all series long for the past two games. They just had to, like, keep uh, coming back after letting up an early goal. And that's what the Blues do. They, I think they have, like, four or five goals within the first two minutes of the game. And as long as – I think I think what he's trying to say is as long as we get through those first two minutes, I think we got this game. Yeah, everybody kind of settles down a little bit. Yeah. And Butterflies go away. Right. And if, if, if the Blues score, like if Tuca doesn't make one of those saves, if they score in the first period, they get the lead, I think they win that game. Whole new ball game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that leaves us with, like we mentioned, a game seven to decide the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I'm pumped for it. It's going to be Wednesday night. So – we're going to see what happens. Blues, quick notes, Blues on the road, 9-3 and three this postseason. Boston, on the other hand, 7-5 and five at home. As we've seen throughout the entire postseason, the Blues are a very good bounce-back team. Um, Kyle, who you got winning, and what, did that, what does that team got to do to win it? Uh, I think it's kind of the same things that we've mentioned on game-by-game game for St. Louis, and that's who I want to win. But uh, like you've mentioned, Ryan O'Reilly, he's got to be a big factor. He's got to get a goal in. Tarasenko, uh, I'm going to say last – Last game, Tarasenko wasn't himself. He didn't play good. Maybe the butterflies being in the building, but he's got to come out and, like we've been mentioning, he's got a pot one. Bennington and those those two guys. I mean, St. Louis's defense has been solid. I don't think they've given up anything stupid or like playing out of position. Um, No, they and they close. It's hard to get in front of the net uh, for the Bruins. Like the they just shut people out. They're just there's just these big defensemen that it's hard to get through them. Yeah, but the major factor in Game Five was uh, how it started with that. The stupid penalties, and then you right. get the five on three, and when Marshawn puts it in, so penalties, power plays, goalie, and your two stars. Yeah, and uh, so, Schwartz has Schwartz done much this, uh, this series. Dude, nah, I don't think, he even talked about him. Yeah, and so right. he gets a hat trick next game. So in turn, <laughs> um, AB Boston's first line is waking up a little bit. They're starting to contribute. They're starting to get some points. Um, what's Boston got to do to win Game Seven and get that cup? I mean, I mean, Tuca's doing what he's doing. Uh, like you said, the first line's got to come out rolling. I mean, you give that first line enough opportunities, they're eventually going to make you pay, and that's what St. Louis has been doing. I mean, I don't think the Bruins really have to do anything too in particular. I mean, they just, if they just stay uh, disciplined, I think they got I think they got the win because the Blues are taking four to five penalties a game, it seems like. I mean, I know after the refs, uh, after game three, I think Baruby said something about the refs. And all of the calls have gone like the Blues' way, mm-hmm. but if they start, if they start becoming disciplined, I think, uh, or losing discipline, which they showed that they did last game, I think the I think the Bruins will win. They'll score a couple power play goals in this. I see. Uh, Whereas the Blues' power play is like one for eighteen, 19, which is yeah. historically like the worst percentage in Stanley Cup final history. Yeah, it's 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 a game of special teams. I mean, the if the Bruins win the special teams yeah. game, I think mm-hmm. they, like that's yeah. That's I mean, what it's, it is. it's game seven. It's uh, no holds loose. It's all out. So I mean, if and if you were to tell me that if someone said, "Hey, we're gonna sell this game seven on pay per view, but it's guaranteed to go to overtime," I sign me up, sign right. me up. Give me overtime. Give me like a three two overtime game. Maybe a little double overtime. Let's let's get the holes oh real God. tight that, up there in the feeling. Boston seats. Actually, something I did want to bring up, even talking about overtime, just. Thinking about the last year, our run with the Caps, uh, how we'd get so plastered in D.C. just oh, yeah. <laughs> watching these games. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, just thought, thinking about Brett Hall and the other guys uh, before 
like Sunday's game, think about it. that was the Caps. We're getting in one before that game. We're yeah. lighting it up. Most of us yep. are taking off work Monday. Yeah. Those yeah, Blues we fans were probably games. so hungover on we missed Monday. missed work a couple days. Oh, my couple God. Weeks. So you're but, talking about I mean, over you, double overtime on a but Wednesday night? How, you're yeah. lucky. We're, we're lucky we're not in it because, I mean, we've never been there in a Game 7 Stanley Cup final, but I would absolutely be miserable with that entire game watching. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't, no. wouldn't like be, it. I'd be sweating worse than I am right now. Yeah, and yeah. it's a little hot up here in the studio, so... Kyle, I think maybe one reason the Blues got blown out last game is because they thought they already won. Yeah, that was a big, big thing in the news. The Blues, I uh, don't know exactly who it was, their owner, a president, somebody. Uh, I think it was just the newspaper or something. No? Was it? I don't know. Uh, and That's what I However read. However it was, it was it was leaked that somebody in St. Louis sent out the Stanley Cup champion letter that they won, the logo with their stuff, the T-shirts, They all done the fucked up, man. Yeah, and the kind of <laughs> curse I mean, them Well, like everybody six. said, you obviously do have to get that stuff ready. Boston's getting their stuff ready, but they're not dumb enough to leak it or give a sneak <laughs> peek. You don't right. give a sneak peek for something like that. That's just absurd. Yeah, they're going to be cursed for the next Yeah, I think the years. city of Boston was like all over them on that, saying you guys are done now. Yeah, blah, between blah, that blah. and then John Hammy with the shaved, shaved beard. beard. So yeah, what is the that? The curse of Long Dong. John Hamm uh, oh is in God. full effect. So St. Louis just completely screwed themselves, shot themselves in the foot. Hate to see it. And then but with uh, Game mm-hmm. 7 coming up, another thing's going to shoot him in the foot. I heard uh, Tom Brady might be in the building oh, waving that flag shoot. for the Bruins. So that place is going to explode. Dude, oh, this is going to be a boring Game 7 now. Yeah. 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 We'll have to yeah. see. So. so there it is, guys. Episode 9, Chirpin' DMV, per usual. Follow us at Chirpin' DMV on Twitter and Instagram, www.chirpin'dmv.com. We appreciate you tuning in, riding with us on this Tuesday. Kyle, A.B., let's uh, send the people out and have a week. Have a good one, boys. Peace out, boys. Later. Fuck! I'm sweating my fucking marbles off.